This is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 15. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Um, great, if you could uh, take up a Bible as well. Turn back to page uh, 967, 2 Corinthians 8. Uh, I'm sure that'd be really helpful for you to have that open in front of you. Uh, and uh, as you get that, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would help us now to see the Lord Jesus clearly in your word. And that your spirit would change us into his likeness. Amen. It was not so long ago you might have been um, pulling one of these uh, over Christmas. And as you did, um, out would fall a naff toy, um, a rather dubious um, and not very robust crown. And where is it? One of these, a Christmas cracker joke. Yes. Brace yourselves, people. Um, here, here we go. What do you get when you cross a snowman with a vampire? Frostbite. Hey, I know, I know, it's terrible. And you're probably wondering, what on earth has that got to do with giving? Um, and our passage from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. Well, just as every joke has a punchline, a key to help you understand and unlock it, in the same way, there is a key, there's a punchline, if you like, to the New Testament. 
And without it, the book is locked and bolted, and we just will never get it unless we understand this. And the key is one word, grace. The free and undeserved mercy, favor of God. The New Testament is all about grace. God is the God of grace. The gospel is the gospel of grace. We start reading the letters in the New Testament, and what do we find? The writers don't, don't start by saying hail or hello. They say grace to you. And they finish not by saying farewell or ta-ta, bye-bye, but grace be with you. Grace is the key which unlocks the work of Christ for us. And if we don't understand it, then we will never get what the Christian life is all about. Every aspect of our lives should be underpinned by this one word. And that also includes, therefore, our giving. Which brings us to 2 Corinthians 8. As the Apostle Paul is launching into two whole chapters here about the issue of giving. He had written previously in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 16, if you want to check it out, about a collection he was organizing for the impoverished church across in Jerusalem. And the Corinthians had agreed to give, but they just hadn't followed through. And so Paul now writes to give them a poke, say, come on, guys, get on with it. But interestingly, he never uses the word money here. Paul instead uses the word grace. Do you see over and over again, verse 1? The grace of God. Verse 4, the word favor, tencharen in the Greek, can actually also mean grace. See that in the footnote there, actually. Verse 6, this act of grace. Verse 7, this act of grace. And then, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, true generosity is a work of God's grace in our lives. He moves our hearts in response to his unbelievable and undeserved generosity towards us in giving his own son, Jesus Christ, for us. So here's our motivation. This is my first point, the motivation. Give generously because Jesus has given generously to us. And as I say that, we need to know that Jesus' giving towards us, it didn't happen that first Christmas. It doesn't start there with a baby in Bethlehem. No, it begins much, much further back than that, in the beginning. Colossians 1 tells us that amazingly, all things were created through him and for him. Everything, the whole world was made by Jesus. And when he made it, the title deeds of the world were given to him. And that makes you and I his tenants. Do we get that? Made by him, everything we have given to us by him, the clothes I'm wearing, I'm standing up in, the watch, the, the shoes, everything, it's all his. don't know if you've ever come across the Sunday Times Rich List. I'm sure many of you have. For the last 30 years, the Sunday Times has published a list of the world's richest people. I have, of course, stopped reading it because uh, when I did I just found it too upsetting to find my name was never on there never not even once but if you do read through it do we see, do we see this 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 he was rich do we see that the wealth of all these rich people the Bill Gateses the Roman Abramoviches the Mark Zuckerbergs it's but a drop in the ocean a speck in the universe compared to Jesus wealth 
Jesus owns everything, the planets, the stars. The world is his. I wish the rich list would begin like this. Number one, Jesus Christ. Then in brackets, actually it's all his. So this is just a list of his loans. And then they all come down off the back of that. Do you see? Get it into your head. He was rich. And yet, though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. Literally, the word means he impoverished himself. It didn't happen to him by accident. He chose to become a beggar for us. Leighton Ford, the American pastor and writer, sums up the poverty of Jesus' life well. He once wrote, Jesus was born in a borrowed manger. He preached from a borrowed boat. He entered Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. He ate the last supper in a borrowed upper room. And he was buried in a buried tomb. And we must, must see the size of the step Jesus took, in particular, when he died on the cross. He went from the highest rung on the ladder, heaven, in all his glory, enjoying rich fellowship with his Father and the Spirit, to the lowest rung, hell. On the cross, he allowed the sword of God's judgment to fall on him instead of us. As he cries out in anguish on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's in physical agony on the cross, yet most of all, he mourns the loss of his relationship with his father, who he's had since the beginning. He's had that relationship at the beginning. Even that, though, he gives away. He gave up everything. It is the very depths of poverty. And Christ didn't have to do it, did he? It was all by grace. We have no excuse as far as God is concerned. It's us that deserve death, not Christ. But the reason Jesus became poor is not because we're so lovable. It's not because we have so much incredible potential. It's because a fountain of undeserved, unrepayable, unconditional generosity lay in Christ's heart for us. And so for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Rich in forgiveness. Rich in a clear conscience before the living Lord. Rich in friendship with God. Amazingly rich in the presence of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and and transforms us from the inside out. Rich in God's strength to cope with each day. There's some of you here today and you're just hanging on each day with your fingernails and the way you're able to do that is just by calling out to him, Lord, help me this day. Well, we can be rich in that too. And rich in eternal life. Rich in knowing Jesus, which is the treasure above all treasures. And folks, if you turn your back on these riches and pursue anything else but God, then that is just terrible poverty. Jesus said another time, he said, if you gain the whole world, if you, if you get it all in this life, you gain the whole world but lose your soul, you lose everything. And that is why we are here as a church, folks. So that through the grace of Jesus, we can seek and save the lost. That we would open our arms and say, please come and investigate and understand this. Please see the riches that you can have in Christ. And that, of course, should motivate us for everything that we do as a church and as individuals.
So then the question becomes, well, how should we respond to these riches? This grace poured out for us. Well, here it is. Here's the response. Point two. Give like the Macedonians. Be a Macedonian and live like Jesus. Have a look at verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8, will you? Paul writes there, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Or what do these Macedonians do? Unlike the Corinthians, they weren't all talking no action, were they? When it came to giving, have a look at the verses that follow. Verse 2, they gave an affliction, an extreme trial. Verse 2 again, they gave even though they were in extreme poverty. Verse 3, they gave beyond their means. And then they also gave of their own accord in verse 3, without coercion. And verse 4, even though they didn't know these Jerusalem saints from Adam, they practically begged to have the opportunity to meet their needs. The Macedonians had five really solid reasons to be financially super cautious. But instead, they were insanely generous. Why? Well, it's that word again, isn't it? Grace. Look back at verse 1. There it is. The grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Paul is not telling us how wonderful the Macedonians are. He is telling us how wonderful the grace of God is that it could take selfish human beings like you and me and help us to open our hands in abundant generosity to meet the needs of others. Which I guess is why Paul goes on to say in verse 5 that the Macedonians didn't do what was expected. I wonder what Paul had expected of them. Well, the folks in the Macedonian churches were mostly new Christians. And I wonder if Paul might have been a little bit worried that he'd put them off. Asking these new Christians to contribute money to an offering for people who they didn't even know. And I have to admit that every time I've stood up here at St. Joseph's and, and, and talked about money to the congregation, I've had that same kind of worry. Especially for those who've recently started coming back to church or aren't yet Christians or have only just become Christians. I, I, I worry that they might think, and if that's you, that you might think, we only want you. God only wants you for your money. But God, first and foremost, doesn't want our money. He wants us. Which is why the Macedonians in verse 5 gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord because God had first given himself to them in Christ. And so they had Christ's grace, his DNA of generosity, if you like, at work in them. We were talking as a staff team at our monthly team lunch uh, on Monday about how much my wee lad, Jamie, uh, is just like me. You may not have met him, but if you have, you, you might get this. Uh, maybe not so much in terms of looks, but in terms of mannerism, the way he speaks. He seems to be just like me. And Jamie knows this. So if I'm, for instance, trying to chastise him over the dinner table for taking a joke a little bit too far, he'll just turn around to me and go, well, I can't help it. It's in my DNA. I get it from you. It's your fault. I mean, where do you go with cheat like that? Well, you go and look in the mirror and go, 
he's a cheeky dog like you are, Matthews. That's the problem. But folks, when it comes to Christ, when, it, when we give ourselves to the Lord, one of the things that we should find is that we will very quickly become marked by the characteristics of Christ. And that should also involve us growing in his grace, his generosity towards us. Which is why Paul encourages the Corinthian believers in verse 7 to not be content to be excelling in simply faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, love, all those things, without also excelling in the grace of giving too. Which is why I'm going to wrap up this morning with three pieces of advice Paul gives here on how to give like Jesus. Here's the first piece of advice. Make sure intentions become actions. Which is verse 11, isn't it? So now finish doing it as well. So that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it. Far too much rich generosity is clogged up in a tray of papers on a desk or, or, a, or a kitchen worktop, isn't it? And desire to give is useless unless we sit down, review our finances, and actually do something about it, take action. The evidence of generosity in our lives is, is not found in our thoughts or, or our feelings. It's found in our bank statements or our checkbooks. Our intentions need to be channeled into action. Here's the second piece of advice. Give in proportion to what the Lord has given you. Verse 11 again, complete the work, he says, out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable, i.e. acceptable to God, according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So as I said earlier on, 10%, a tithe is the biblical baseline, which is why our giving literature suggests giving 5% of your income to uh, the work here at St. Joseph's and 5% to the work elsewhere, the work of, of mission um, in other parts of the world. But for some of us, that simply isn't possible. We're too far stretched by our current circumstances to do that. So we'll have to give less than 10%. But for others of us, we wouldn't miss 20% or 30%. And so our thinking has to start more there. The Lord knows about you and your situation. And so our giving mustn't be about hitting some magical tithing target. Paul simply encourages each one of us to make a contribution and to do so out of what you have. Given proportion to what the Lord has given you. And then thirdly, the final piece of advice, give to meet others' needs. Whenever we part with money, we, 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 we often really have it in the back of our minds, what's in it for me? Even sometimes when we're thinking about our giving, I, I think, if we're honest. Now, I hope that we all benefit from being part of this church. But I wonder if you've ever thought, about how all the kids' work that goes on here doesn't benefit you if you don't have children yourself. Or for those of us with children, maybe we've thought about those um, after-school clubs, the, the Monday Kids Zone Club or the, the Friday Night Fry Up Youth Club. Um, that they don't benefit us if we're, 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 we're 
because they're, they're primarily serving kids um, whose, whose families don't come to church, not our kids. And then again, you might worry that because our money is all in the same pot as another church across town, that anything extra we might raise might get spent there instead of here. Well, Paul's point in verses 13 to 15 is this. Giving should flow from those who have much to those who have little. Those who have three square meals a day should give for the sake of those who don't. Those who have the gospel should give for the sake of those who don't. Generosity will cost us. That's what generosity is. That's what generosity does. And who knows, says Paul, as he goes on in verses 13 to 15, as we give to meet needs, whether it's the needs of individuals or other churches, maybe sometime in the future, we might find that their abundance may supply our needs. Whether physical needs like food or water, or spiritual needs like Bibles and Bible teachers. The bottom line is this, though. Give like Jesus. Be, give because his grace, his free and undeserved favor to you has captured your heart and open your hands in such a way that you want to live like him. Pouring out not only your money, but all of your life in sacrificial service of his name. Why don't we talk to him about that now? Let's have a moment of uh, quiet on our own to respond to his word. Let's pray.